Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount Plus, only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. What's up, everybody? You're listening to the Coast to Coast Podcast, brought to you by Johnny T-Shirt here on InsideCarolina.com. I am prepared to have a great show tonight. Sherelle and Sean are going to be here. But most importantly, I get to tell you about what's happening at Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. They're going to start having all of the spring stuff in very soon. I know it's hard to think about warm weather when it's cold outside. I get that. Trust me. I get it. But it's not going to be cold forever. At some point, you're going to be back out of the park. You're going to be back you know, in the gym doing whatever you do with shorts on and short sleeve gear and Johnny T-shirts to stop where you can get your UNC gear. JohnnyT-shirt.com right there on East Franklin Street in Chapel Hill. It's time to start thinking about spring games, spring sports, all of that stuff. Johnny T-shirt will have the best selection from the best brands. And we appreciate them sponsoring this content. Check them out. Premium subscribers get that extra 10% off the top. Shout out to Johnny Teach for sponsoring the show. And here we go. carolina.com brings you the coast to coast podcast i am joey powell your host and with me as always the two guys that you came to see top billing the bright lights shine brightest from these two guys step behind the microphone they are the dj easy rock and rob bass to my dude that hypes up dj easy rock and rob bass uh sean moran and Sheryl mcmillan sean how are you doing well real how are you man I'm good. Watched a really good AFC championship game. Ready to talk about UNC. See, we all knew football ended last week, so I don't know what you're referencing, but I can <laughs> appreciate that. It ended two weeks ago for me. It did. This is, this is also <laughs> acceptable. Guys, when we left the show last week, I can remember sitting here saying to you, all right, the Tar Heels have three games this week. We'll know a lot more maybe after this week. So what did we miss? Well, the Tar Heels went three for three. They got three wins at home, kept their perfect record at home. They toughed out a game against a Virginia Tech team that I think just did not play very well. Uh, they had and actually outdid themselves with the worst shooting performance in a win in North Carolina basketball history, which if you think about the fact that North Carolina has been playing since the Mesozoic era, that is a long time. So to do anything in North Carolina basketball history is a big deal. And the Tar Heels beat Boston College despite shooting under 30% from the field. I think they made as many free throws as they did field goals for the game with 10 and then Saturday, this team shows up like their hair is on fire. I mean, hotter than a popcorn fart, just couldn't miss. Everything that they shot seemingly went into the basket uh, and absolutely blitzed an NC State team. If you can think about a game being a 20-point win and the score being actually not as indicative as the game was lopsided, that's what happened on Williams Day in the Smith Center on Saturday. Guys, I want to come to each one of you for your initial reaction on the week that was three games, three wins. What's different? Sherelle? Um, They have three more wins than they did last week. I don't know if we know more about them. And again, 
I feel like we're going to say this the whole season. You're just not sure that you can trust them to go on the road and be, you know, a halfway decent team. Now, whether or not Louisville is a halfway decent team, I think we can discuss further. Um, they gave Duke a, a pretty tough run on Saturday. But for North Carolina, you know, we, we did see them win a game when they didn't shoot the ball well, which I think was important. I mean, you couldn't have played offense worse than they did against Boston College. It would have been think, hard. Yeah, it would have been hard. And I, I don't think um, Hubert's uh, EET, energy, effort, and toughness, and I don't think those were in question at all this week. No. I thought you saw a lot of that um, from, you know, from Kayla Love on down. So that was a good sign. They didn't have to coach effort. They didn't have to get them to play hard. They didn't look sleepy at all. Um, so that's a positive, I guess. I guess that is some growth, but that hasn't been an issue at all at home. It's been an issue in neutral sites and on the road. Um, so I guess you could say they confirmed that they're a decent team at home, that they can play well at home and beat teams by, you know, up 35, even by 20, or they can play terribly at home and still find a way to win. So that's a good thing. However, the, the question marks on this team, I think, still remain moving forward, though this was a good week for them, um, just considering where they were you know, seven, eight days ago, uh, coming yeah. off those horrible back-to-back -back losses. Yeah, I think the tone around the team is definitely better. But again, to your point, their identity still is what it was a week ago at this time. Put a pause in what you said about uh, performing at home. I want to come back to that in a second. Sean, uh, 15 and 6, 10 games left. What are your takeaways from this past week? You know, if, if I ask you to give me your immediate gut reaction, what is it? Immediate gut reaction. Well, I mean, one just going back to last week, you know, it was kind of the lowest of lows uh, from the from the play on the floor to us doing the podcast. And I remember saying, well, what if they do go three and zero this week? You know, we we probably expect them to drop one, but what if they do? And they did it. Um, you know, so kind of immediate reaction was they took care of business. They won ugly. They had a fantastic shooting performance um, and, and game uh, against NC State. But at the end of the day, when you look at the rankings, I think 39 and then two game, you know, two teams in the 100. So, you know, you're not back, you know, up at the, the mountaintop in terms of how, how this team is. Their Ken Palm went from rank, you know, 43rd to 37. I think that's still indicative of, of where they are. But I think we also saw a lot of, you know, positives that if they can continue, um, you know, maybe this, can improve their their overall play, just not at, at home. Um, you know, I think Brady Manick played extremely well. Uh, obviously, Virginia Tech tried to go right at him uh, from the opening tip, and you know he he held his own, uh, uh, which which you know was was a plus, and he played well offensively. Shot ten of nineteen from three over the week. Um, and Leaky Black, who we talked about uh, the stat of the week, his ten offensive rating. Um, he turned into kind of the leaky black that everybody was hoping for where, you know, he is impacting the game in certain areas um, and is not just kind of running up and down, down the court. So overall is a fantastic week, but once again, the, the tenor could quickly change with a, a game on the road and then the Duke game. Um, and really the next two weeks are going to be, um, <laughs> as we've said, philosophy, very important. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've talked about the ideal line for Leakey being 5-5-5. Five, five, and five. We've shared that on this podcast many times. And against NC State, he had 5-4-4. Four, and four. Uh, It doesn't include um, a couple of blocks he had early on and really asserted himself uh, against both Darian Sebron and Jericho Helms, though Helms was, was lighting Brady Manick up. Um, Sean, I, I want to ask you this, and, and Sherelle touched on it a little bit, but um, defensively, 
I, I still I'm, I'm not sure that this team is any better uh, collectively defensively, but I do think they have shown better energy in these last couple of games. And I do think individually, to your point about Brady Manick, they've shown as individuals they've been able to play a little bit better defense. But I still wonder, you know, what are they going to do when they go up against teams that that have decided, especially when the teams have the athletes to just take the ball to the basket? And there's one of those coming up next weekend in Chapel Hill. Uh, what can this team do defensively to stop just the the straight line dribble drives that they've had trouble with? Yeah, I mean, I think from the uh, the guard perspective, Sherelle mentioned uh, kind of the energy, effort, and toughness, and and that was I think one thing throughout the week from Caleb Love, where you you really saw that on defense, um, even you know offensive offense to defense, uh, you know he was right, you know always exerting a, a ton of en- energy, uh, was trying to get through get through picks, was focused, um, and I think you know if he can keep that up, that's that's one piece of the puzzle on the perimeter, you know, defensively Armando had, I think six blocks against NC state, you know, would love to, if he was kind of that day Ron sharp enforcer in the middle uh, against everybody, but, you know, I don't think that that is the case. We've talked about the lack of, you know, kind of a rim presence. Um, I think NC state helped it by really their guards and wings driving in, um, you know, and, and kind of giving him opportunities, but even if he was able to improve slightly, I think that would, would go a long way, but, you know, really it's just going to come from them. You know, the communication I think is, is extremely important. It has seemed like the players have been communicating better on the floor and, and even offensively, um, you know, that they're recognizing each other more on, you know, assists and good shots and things of that nature. So, you know, I, I'd say really communication is probably the one key, um, you know, when, when you're going against better teams or playing on the road. Yeah. Thanks for that. Sherelle, I want to ask you, um, We'll find out again. The Tar Heels will have another chance to get a win on the road when they go at Louisville, which I think is a uh, a quad two game coming up this week on Tuesday. Why do you think this team's results don't travel? I mean, that's that's a million dollar question. I I honestly I don't have an answer. I mean, um, maybe because they're playing the you know better teams on the road. I mean, Notre Dame has turned out to be a pretty solid team. Miami, um, we know is arguably the best team in the ACC Wake Forest, I think is a tournament team. Um, so those are the three ACC road losses. And then on the neutral site, you know, Purdue, Tennessee, and Kentucky, all are top, I think 16 in Kimpom. So it's not like they're losing to bad teams. Again, I, again, I don't think that's the issue is the issue is that they're getting blown out. They're playing poorly. Yes. Right. They're playing poorly. I, I, you know, I, I guess it's just that extra little bit of energy. These guys didn't have with everyone didn't have, um, real home games last season. Mm-hmm. So maybe just being in that environment and thriving in that environment, um, comfort level, just easier. You know your spots better. It's where you always play. It could be any of those things, but I, I don't have a great answer. It's just – it's very similar to the football team about night games and, and road night night road games, you know. Um, hold on, hold on. I need, is, to get some, uh, I need to go get some Maalox. That <laughs> it, doesn't make ahead, any, sorry. it doesn't make any sense. And, and everyone, you know, I was – even with UNC up 35, I was like, I remember November. I remember what happened. Like, oh God. So, so um, that was in, I think in the back of a lot of people's mind and maybe that was a little catharsis on Saturday um, to make up for um, that game in Raleigh in November. But to answer your question, man, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's baffling. They are, they are really good with the EET, the energy, effort and toughness mm-hmm. at home. And maybe that is just, just a difference. 
Yeah, I, I would wonder if if they're able to have a decent performance against Louisville, if that might, like a shooter when he sees the ball go in the basket, if that might help them kind of get off the snide a little bit and recognize that, hey, we can do this. Sean, I want to ask you some analysis specifically from Saturday. Uh, if you had to... Uh, if you had to give a, a star rating to the bird, the Carolina Wren that ended up on the court, what would you say that the bird's game was worth? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, for those of you who didn't see the game, there was actually a bird in the Smith Center that landed on the court and they stopped the game. Uh, but, Sean, I, I do want to come back to you. A guy like Darian Sebron, who is, you know, does really good with the ball in his hands, uh, gets is a volume shooter, can get to the rim seemingly whenever he wants – North Carolina kind of limited him on Saturday, and I'm not making this an NC State, you know, sole analysis podcast, but what do you think was different uh, that North Carolina did? Because, you know, they still allowed a guy like uh, Jericho Willems and uh, Terquavian Smith to go nuts, but Darian Sebron, who I guarantee you was number one on, you know, on just about everybody's, uh, everybody's, you know, scouting reports, did not have such a good game, and I don't think it was just shooting. Do you think that Thor Hills played him differently? Do you think it was Leaky Black just had more intensity because it was a rival? Any ideas as to why that came to pass? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I think uh, Cheryl actually tweeted it beforehand of, of one of the keys is just to slow him down, you know, not even stop him. But uh, surprisingly, they they did. Uh, you, you know, look at the numbers, one for six, uh, and they're obviously focused on him initially. I mean, I think, once again, he's been a tremendous talent this year, has kind of the size and length and – uh, you know, as athletic, but, you know, you look back at Alondis Williams and that dude is more of a freak where yeah. uh, quickness wise, jumping strength, like he's just going to, you know, he was in kind of a different ball game. Um, Seaborn, you know, is, is a good one, but he wasn't going to, I don't think overwhelm uh, anybody athletically. And I think that allowed Leakey to kind of stay with him a little bit more. Um, once again, Armando was, you know, kind of acting the enforcer in the paint. Um, and <laughs> offensively, when, when you're hitting every single three that you take, <laughs> that obviously deflates, you know, can deflate you um, a little bit on, on both ends. So, you know, I think it athletically, once again, it wasn't a, you know, a Miami guard or a, a Londis um, at, at that level where that's where UNC has had trouble. Uh, but it was a guy that even though he'd been playing really well, has the length and skill. Um, I think, they're they're you know leaky and the the defensive style could uh disrupt him a little bit easier than some of the other players that have had success true yeah i was gonna say too he's not really a shooter and when there's not a threat of you know someone just you know dropping four or five threes on you he's made eight the whole season and you can be more aggressive with your on-ball defense and you can you know leaky has the link to really bother people so really it was a matter of uh leaky you know, not respecting his outside outside shot as all at all, and then um, kind of covering his right hand and making sure that you know if, if he's going to drive, he's going to drive right. So if you do that, um, it makes it a little bit easier to to cut him off from angles to have help defense rotate over because you know he's not a threat from the outside. So I think that probably helps some too. It did look like UNC did a better job of protecting the rim and forcing uh, NC State's dribble drives to the outside. Uh, Shrill, I want to ask you this, and, and Sean, I'm going to get you to chime in on it too. We saw some differences in the rotation this week, and I, I, I don't want this to sound as a knock on any player because I definitely think that Anthony Harris and Dawson Garcia make UNC better. But by those two players being unavailable this week, did they actually help Hubert Davis with his rotation issues? Because I, I would say 
the team that he played and the way that he played and distributed minutes on Saturday could actually bode really well for this team later in the season. Trill, how do you feel like that is that is that potential that they could have addition by subtraction subtraction with ease of the rotation or did it just happen because of the way the game turned out Saturday? Uh, probably a little bit of both. I don't want to say addition by subtraction, but I do think that Brady Manick is a little more comfortable playing with Armando Baycott than Dawson Garcia was. Mm-hmm. That's not, again, not a knock on Garcia. Sure, sure. Because certainly, you know, he's had some huge gains for UNC. And at some point, they could really use, you know, some the scoring ability that he has. Yeah. Uh, but I think Manick is excellent at, uh, as we've talked about pretty much every podcast, at moving the ball, at not letting it stick, um, at getting it to Armando Baycott from the high post. And it's, the good thing is that he's such a willing passer is that people actually, it, it looked to me at least, like NC State started playing him as a passer for is a little bit. And that is dangerous because if you give him, you know, a little bit of room, he's going to, he's going to hit a three. So I think that's part of it. Um, and then, you know, with, with Puff Johnson uh, seemingly passing other players on the rotation, now you have Corwin Walton coming in as opposed to Anthony Harris as kind of the, the third guard, I guess. And so that gives you a little more offensive versatility uh, with Walton. And then with Johnson, I think it gives you a lot more, defensive versatility in that he can guard threes and he's willing to go down there and fight with, you know, fours from the opposing team as well. Um, so it looked good for these three games. Um, it's still, it's still essentially a seven man rotation. You yep. just replaced Walton. i oh, excuse me. You replaced Harris and Garcia with Walton and Johnson essentially, essentially. Um, and I think those guys have different skill sets. So I'm sure there's something we're missing that Garcia and Harris did that Walton and Johnson don't. Um, but right now we're, we're not seeing it. So it, it's kind of a, I guess it's a status quo to me um, just because those two do different things than the two that they're replacing. Noted. Sean, do you have any thoughts about that? I mean, again, I'm the host. I'm always the guy that's going to try to oversimplify things and allow you guys to extrapolate. But how, how do you feel like things have, have shaped out this week or have shaken out this week with the, uh, the rotation differences? Yeah, I mean, you know, even in the games, the rotations have been different. But I, I think, you know, Hopefully uh, a positive going forward with, with Puff um, healthy and, and starting to get some playing time as well as, you know, a little more uh, comfortable on both sides of the ball. Uh, and even Herwin, you know, if he can come in and, and you know, feel conf- confident on, you know, one to three, three-point attempts, I think that goes a long way. Um, you know, in general, I always feel kind of, you know, an eight-man rotation is, is the ideal scenario. Um, I mean, you can go back to, 05 or 09, et cetera, um, where they, they kind of had, you know, the starters had defined roles, but you still had some strong bench play. And, you know, when you look at Garcia, obviously a very talented player, but I think this, you know, in, in terms of the losing him, it, it helps Manic. I think it gives Manic more comfort in terms of more minutes, uh, more shot attempts. And there, there's probably going to be a game where <laughs> foul trouble or what else. It's going to say, wow, we really wish we had Dawson to come off the bench. But right now, I think it gives um, Manic more freedom. And, you know, he's a guy where every time he shoots, I expect it to go in just in terms of, of how he's playing. Uh, you know, from from Harris, uh, you know, I, I did like his athleticism and what he brought on on that end. But once again, there, there have been so many guys where you know, they have potential, but it was just hard to get, give them the minutes or shot attempts. So now, you know, the guys for the most part are locked in. Maybe DeMarco Don gets some minutes here and there, but for the most part, it, it kind of just shrinks it and gives gives those guys a little more opportunity 
and hopefully a little more confidence to, you know, to play, play well when they're in. If nothing else, it's been refreshing to see, especially on Saturday, Kerwin Walton only had five points, but he took two jump shots that he missed that he looked confident taking. There was no hesitation. He caught the ball. He got it in good. Um, he was in good rhythm when he took them. Uh, and then Puff Johnson actually hit a deep three as well. I think that bodes well for the team moving forward, especially if those, like Sherelle said, if those are going to be your six and seven guys uh, in the rotation from here on out. All right, fellas, a little statistical breakdown here. I mentioned earlier, 15 and six is what the Tar Heels are looking at right now. They're seven to three in the ACC, which I think tie, either has them tied for fourth, but they're, either way, they would be in a top four right now if the, NCAA, or if the ACC tournament were to start right now. And you know that top four means the elusive and, and much needed double bye. Uh, they're 37 in the net. They've got 10 games to play. Four of those games are quad one games, which we have talked ad nauseum. And anybody who follows this team has said they need to capitalize on every chance they have to get good Q1 wins to boost their, you know, their resume. They also have two of their last 10 games are Q2 games. Looking at 10 left, I'm not asking you to predict games, but what I would like to ask is at 15 and six right now with 10 to play, what do they need to do to get into the NCAA tournament, assuming that they can't win all 10? Because I don't know, this team has not proven to me that they're trustworthy to even mention winning all 10 as a possibility. So, Sherelle, I will ask you, what will they need to do down the stretch of these last 10 games to get into the NCAA tournament so that prior to whatever happens in Brooklyn, you feel good about their resume? Uh, 10 and 0. Shout out to Tommy Ashley. Uh, <laughs> No, nah, uh, they, they he said to... it yesterday on the radio show. He's like, 12 of those going to be on my tombstone. I said, yes, it will. It go is. ahead. No, I think they need to go six and four. Um, that puts them at 13 and seven in the ACC. I think they would feel comfortable there. Um, there's five road games, five home games. They yep. got to find a way to get two road wins. I don't know how, because being frank and being honest, the likelihood of them going undefeated at home, I think is it, it's, it's yeah. tough because their, their toughest game left is at home. Um, so if, if they can go five and zero at home, then, you know, great. You only have to win one road game. Um, but I, I would expect them to potentially drop one home game. So, you know, something like four and one at home, the rest of the way. So you got to pick up two road wins somewhere. It doesn't matter where, um, at Louisville, at Clemson, um, that last game of the year is going to be tough. Um, you know, at NC state, just got to find a way to protect your home court get win four out of five at your home court yep. and then find two road wins somewhere. And I think they'll get in. So just to recap, and, and I love the way you broke that down, Sherelle, uh, you're at Louisville, at Clemson, at Virginia Tech, at North Carolina State, and then you end the year at the Mike Krzyzewski will not die game. That's harsh to say. I shouldn't say that. Uh, the Mike Krzyzewski's, whatever you want to call it, you know, ESPN special programming for 48 hours game. Uh, on the road. So those are your five road games. North Carolina also on the home slate, uh, Duke and Chapel Hill next week, Florida State at home, Pitt at home, which is a Q4, Louisville at home, which is a Q3, and Syracuse at home, which is a Q3. So most of their Q1 and Q2s, in fact, all of them are going to be on the road. Sean, same thing. What do you think this team has to do so that prior to the ACC tournament, you feel, uh, you feel steady about their NCAA tournament resume? Uh, I mean, I, with, with this one, it's hard to even look a, a few weeks out, uh, just given the, the fluctuations we've seen. I agree with Sherelle in terms of the overall six and four record. I would say over the, you know, once again, going back to the next two weeks, uh, two and two worst case scenario, which put, puts a lot of pressure 
knowing that one of the top teams in the country is, is coming in and that's one of the four. Um, but you know, Louisville at Louisville at Clemson and Florida state at home, they need to go, you know, two and one, you know, against, against those three, I think to set themselves up for, you know, really Pitt being kind of the BC of the one game that <laughs> they should, you know, should win, especially being at home. Although you do, with anything, you don't want to count it as a, as a win just quite yet. But once again, I think, you know, really that the Louisville game is, is going to be extremely important. It's a team that obviously is going through a lot of turmoil um, and a team that if UNC jumps on early, I think they win the game. But if they let Louisville hang around, you know, even like they, you know, or, or play them even like they were awake in that first 10 minutes, it could give them the confidence they need to, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, get hot and, and pull out a, pull out a win and, and kind of give the fans something to celebrate on. But if UNC can get them down early, I think they will quit. But once again, it's, it's, can UNC hit them in the mouth versus just kind of playing, you know, yeah. playing, playing, playing until all of a sudden the run comes and then it's, <laughs> then it's catch up time. Well, and as you know, uh, go ahead. I, I was going to say too, you know, Louisville, after something traumatic happens in the season, like you lose your head coach, mm -hmm. you figure that you get that first game of energy and everybody's excited because you want to prove everybody wrong. Yeah. And they had that against Duke and they still lost. So I think Sean is 100% on it. If Carolina can get up, you know, 15 to 2, 15 to 3, 15 to 5 early, I think Louisville might be like, you know, what, what are we doing here? Our yeah. coach is fired. We gave 100% <laughs> against Duke, still lost. Like we've got nine games left. Why? Why are we doing this? Let's just get through this. So I, I think that is important. If, if UNC ever needed to come out in a game and just, you know, put the pedal to the metal, um, it's Tuesday night. And Tuesday night, again, if they don't do that, Louisville showed against Duke that they've got some dudes. They've got some guys that will absolutely body you and lean on you and get grimy with you. And that's not a style of play that North Carolina wants any part of. So that being said, I agree with what you guys said. And I appreciate the, the look down the road, too. I, again, not asking you to pick, you know, pick games or prognosticate or anything like that. But just I appreciate the understanding that you gave with uh, what you think will get the Tar Heels comfortably into the NCAA tournament. And that Tuesday night game against Louisville is a Q2 game. So to reiterate, that's a real good chance to boost your resume a little bit. Uh, boys, let's take a quick break. Let the national guys run some ads. We'll be right back to talk some recruiting. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. All right. Appreciate you sticking around here for the Coast to Coast podcast. Terrell McMillan, Sean Moran, I'm Joey Powell. Appreciate you being here with us. Um, Terrell just sent me a, a message in our chat as we're doing this show live uh, tonight while we're recording. He said, Duke Keys. I don't know if that's a prospect that the Tar Heels have just uh, <laughs> have just offered a a, a a scholarship to or not. But Cheryl, you want to tell us about Duke Keys? No, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, keys to the Duke game. I, I I didn't want to get ahead of things because this team has not shown any reason for, for folks to get ahead. I I do want to reiterate that college game day will be in town on Saturday, so it should be a relatively hype atmosphere. Probably not as 
as jacked up as, as they were against uh, NC State for the Roy Williams Day and the 82 championship teams honoring ceremony. But uh, definitely uh, there will be some buzz around the game on Saturday. So before we get into recruiting things, Sherelle, give me two keys that the Tar Heels need to beat Duke on Saturday. Duke Cruz was a recruit back in Duke the day. Duke Cruz, that's Duke right. Cruz, and he almost yeah. spelled it like keys. I think it was yeah. C-R-E-W-S. Where did he yes. end up going? West Virginia? He went to Tennessee, Tennessee right? and then Tennessee. transferred to VCU or Maryland, somewhere like that. Anyway. Duke Cruz, um, wow. All right. Yeah, so, I mean, in looking at that game, man, the big question is, like, what do you do at Palo Bancaro if you're UNC? Because <laughs> um, you have to assume there's going to be a lot of Armando Baycott and Mark Williams. I would say bracketing um, with a safety and a linebacker. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I mean, that, that's that's to me, that's, that's the point right there is – are you going to allow Ben Caro to just kind of do his thing and try to chuck off everything else? Or are you just going to play him straight up and, and say, um, you know, if Jamie Roach and Joey Baker and others are hitting their shots, tip their cap. Oh, sorry, if, are you going to double him? And then if Joey Baker and Jamie Roach, Wendell Moore, et cetera, Griffin are hitting their shots, then tip, tip your cap and, and lose the game. Um, I, I personally, <laughs> I might would go to Brady Manick before the game and say, look, we, we love you very much, but we, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to sacrifice you in this game because um, I think it, I think you allow Ben Carroll to just do his thing. And if he scores 50 points, he scores 50 points. But the issue with a lot of these Carolina Duke games in the past is the, the kind of guys on the, the periphery, random guy, the cursory guys yeah. who um, maybe haven't shot well from three before or um, who are in a slump, who, who bust that slump because they're getting open looks. And so if you don't allow them to get open looks and you say, okay, Ben Carroll, do your thing, then I, I think that gives Carolina a, a better chance. I, obviously, I'm not Hubert Davis. I'm not a coach. I'm not paid. Um, but if I, were, if I were in that position, that's, I think that's a strategy I would take um, and, and just see what happens from there. Obviously, you can adjust on the fly, but that's how it would start. So what you're saying is you're expecting 35 points out of A.J. Griffin perhaps I mean, he was, <laughs> he's been shooting it well man he's been he, shooting he was really, he was hitting some deep yeah. balls against louisville for sure yeah, i I, yeah. I can definitely see that yeah. sean strategy against duke i mean again they're uh they've got a lot of size they've got a lot of talent i mentioned earlier how good they are at getting the ball to the rim how would you how would you play this game or what is the one thing you think north carolina has to do or take away to win this game well, I mean, I think a few interesting things. One, in terms of the the matchups of of uh, you know, is RJ. I assume RJ will guard Roach, um, and then everybody kind of has to go up with Caleb guard, guarding Wendell, et cetera. So it's going to be kind of a little bit of a size issue early on. Um, and I think, you know, ha how do they handle Mark Williams uh, when he's on the, on defense? Because I think he, you know, he helps erase a lot of Duke's uh, issues defensively where, you know, on a man-to-man -man perspective, I think UNC could get, you know, get to the rim and attack. Um, but, you know, if one, you know, if they can get him in foul trouble, I think that's huge. Um, obviously they have Theo John, another big body off the bench. Um, but, you know, how does, how does Mark Williams protect the paint from the, the guards as well as Armando who has, you know, struggled against, players, you know, like, like him. Um, but was, you know, I think from when you're looking at Palo and, and Manic, you know, if Manic can, Palo is not a great defensive player and he's not going to want to exert a lot of, a lot right. of energy. So if, if Manic can get comfortable from behind the three point line, I think that, you know, that goes, goes far. And the other thing is just pushing, 
pushing the tempo, you know, again, against Duke um, and looking for those, those three point shooters on the wings. And then, you know, finally Caleb love, you know, we know he loved playing against Duke last year and especially with Jeremy Roach's guarding them. Um, <laughs> you know, he feels like he can, you know, do whatever he wants against him. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm going in with low expectations, but, you know, I, I think if, if they play well, um, you know, they have the confidence from last year of, of dominating them two times. Absolutely. Obviously a different team, but, you know, different still a lot team, of the same, same guys. No, your, your point resonates. And, and as, as Sherelle was talking about what Bancara is able to do, I was also wondering is, you know, is a big offensive output from Brady Manick and forcing Bancara to chase him around. Does that change things? Who knows? All right, now that we've talked about what a prospect Duke Keys is going to be uh, for college basketball, uh, let's get into some actual high school basketball, uh, some, some prep prospects right now. Sean, you did a great eval on Seth Trimble and, and how his game continues to evolve. The UNC signee, uh, you, you want to kind of give us a little bit of a synopsis of that for folks who have not had a chance to see it and may want to go click on that on the InsideCarolina.com premium message boards? Yeah, so that, that came out uh, kind of midweek, uh, a little bit after the Tyler Nickel film review. Um, it came from his game th this past, uh, about a week ago, uh, which with the opponent having, uh, you know, a four-star, 6-4 uh, shooting guard in the class of 2023. Um, so it was a good opportunity to look both offensively and, and defensively at Trimble since it had been really since the beginning of the season when we did so um, offensively, you know, he only missed five, five shots the whole game. Um, he had two threes, which he's been shooting the ball a lot better um, and, and a lot more comfortably, uh, which is, which is huge, uh, especially if he can continue to increase that three point shooting ability, uh, you know, and, and was able to show his explosive explosiveness getting to the rim um, defensively showed some great on ball pressure, uh, especially when going up against, um, you know, the Chapman, uh, the four star, but pick and roll, uh, sometimes he could, you know, kind of get, get gobbled up pretty, pretty easily. So, you know, that, that'll just be something that he needs to kind of continue to work on, but overall is a really efficient and, and a, a very strong performance against, a, another talented team from Minnesota. Yeah. So definitely want to reiterate folks need to check that out on the inside carolina.com premium basketball message board. Sean does an amazing job with these. Uh, some really next-level stuff. And, and, again, it gives you a little bit of insight into what North Carolina is getting when a player like Trimble gets to campus. Sherelle, the Tar Heels had a visitor on campus yesterday. That's uh, their only offer in the sophomore class. You want to tell us anything about Jaron Stevenson that folks might not know? Uh, not that they might not know. This is his third trip to UNC uh, this year. He lives in Pittsburgh and goes to the new school there, uh, Seaforth High School. It's their first year playing basketball. So, um, a regular visitor, um, someone who they've put a lot of attention to, you know, to be just a sophomore. Um, and I think he'll probably be back at the Smith Center a couple more times. So, um, they have a, they're in a good place with him early. Um, who knows what's going to happen over the next couple of years, but that's the kind of talent in state that you want to see North Carolina go after. Um, because as we've talked about the 2024 class in particular is very fertile for UNC in their recruiting area, you know, South Carolina, mm -hmm. North Carolina, Virginia, um, there are probably four or five, you know, national top 25, top 30 prospects who they have a chance with. Um, so getting them in uh, to the Smith Center on a day like Saturday where Michael Jordan's in the building and 
uh, Raymond Felton's in the building. <laughs> Antoine Jameson's in the building. You see how PJ Hairston was in the building. You see how I put Raymond Felton above <laughs> Antoine Jameson and just yes. below Michael Jordan. Yeah. Yes. Um, so there, there are there are a lot. You know, it's a big day on Saturday in the Smith Center. So the fact that they, you know, Stevenson could experience that, I'm sure helps you and see a ton. Yeah, and, and again, I'm always a sucker for for guys that have like that prototypical NBA wing build. I mean, he's six eight and one ninety at what sixteen years old. I mean, that's. Right. That's a pretty daunting frame that that a lot of college coaches will probably salivate at the the opportunity to coach. All right, last thing. Uh, after we did our show last week, uh, you did a little bit of a kind of synopsis to how the GG Jackson post Duke visit uh, went, and kind of your reporting on on understanding of that. Anything else you want to share there uh, in case folks didn't see that update? Um. Can we get the alarm to say this is the Gigi Jackson portion of the program? Oh, yes, that's right. We should have a um, – John in post, I need you to add in a special, like, breaking world report Gigi Jackson update sounder. All right, go ahead. Um, no, not much has changed. The only thing I, I think maybe slipped by some readers is that he was originally scheduled to visit South Carolina officially uh, the weekend of February 16th, but his state playoffs start on the 15th, and if they win on the 15th, they would play on the 18th, which would be in the middle of the South Carolina visit. So that visit has been moved up to um, this coming weekend, actually. Uh, so he'll be in Columbia, which is, you know, 10 minutes from his house, starting on Friday through Sunday for an official visit. From there, you know, it's kind of, we don't think he's going to take another official visit, but he hasn't completely ruled it out. I think more than likely what would come after that is some kind of uh, final top list and then a decision uh, as he said, early spring. So it is, he, he's rounding third, I would say, in his recruitment. Um, and once the South Carolina visit is done, I think we'll see, um, you know, the, the home stretch and we'll be able to see kind of um, the, the, the top three schools or, or maybe the top five schools and then have a decision again before AAU starts in, in April. And this has been your weekly GG Jackson update here on the Coast to Coast podcast. Thank you, Sherelle McMillan reporting. All right, guys, before we get out of here, uh, anything that we missed that you want to tack on? Sean? Uh, no. I mean, Tyler Nickel had 54 points. Uh, the just, game... just 54? <laughs> Slacker. Uh, the game after we did the, the eval. Um, didn't watch the whole thing. Watched, watched a little bit of the, the early parts. And, you know, as we always say, yes, the level of competition. But, I mean, <laughs> scoring, scoring 54, no matter what, is always impressive. And, you know, he was – shooting the ball very well from the three point line, which I think is going to be his key to getting some playing time early is that three point shooting ability uh, next season. Yeah. 54 points uh, in an open gym with a rack of basketballs is, is, is not easy to do. Cheryl, anything you want to add before we get out of here tonight? Got three funny stats for you or interesting stats or fire away, sir. So North Carolina shooting 75.8% from the free throw line. That is the highest in the Kim Palm era, which dates back to 1997. Well, um, so, oh, 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 clearly, that just means that Hubert Davis makes them practice free throws more <laughs> than Roy Williams did. Is that that's the way I'm supposed to read that with hot take hot take glasses, right? I, I believe so. Yes, they're okay. slightly above 75.7 in 2008. All right. um, so that's interesting because when you have big men like Armando Baycott, who's going to get fouled, um, when you have guards like Caleb Love and R.J. Davis who penetrate. Um, and get fouled, they need to be able to convert it to free throw line. And so far, they're doing a great job at that. Almost um, makes me wish they would drive to the basket more, but that's yeah. just that's just me talking off the top of my head. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so 38.1% from three. 
that is the best UNC percentage since the 2009 national championship team. That team was at 38.5. What is great and amazing about that team is that it also uh, was top 20 in the country in offensive rebounding. Um, so That's not so only, absurd. They didn't miss a ton of shots, but <laughs> if they ever did, they obviously almost always got the rebound. So um, hilarious. And then my favorite stat, North Carolina conference only defensive <laughs> efficiency. Where do you think they are now? I'm just tracking this every week because it's hilarious to me. Why do you They're think they first? Are? They were they were they were first last week, and then like something happened. Well, are they first again? No, they they were first, and they dropped to fourth after those two, after the Miami, Miami and Wake Forest yeah. disasters, and now they're back up to third um, in the conference in um, defensive, defensive conference efficiency. defensive efficiency. Right. Wow. Yeah. I don't know. We we didn't talk about it last week, so uh, you know, hopefully they don't get uh get crushed after. Uh, right. Yeah. Louisville's like, going like for ninety. Louisville's, Louisville's going, going for ninety. Now, right? Duke will yeah. go for one twenty. Yeah. All right. That's that's on me. I'm sorry. That's. On me. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, look. Uh, between that and then uh, Sean doing a, a video analysis of somebody and he gets four, fifty-four the next game. I mean, maybe you should start going after all of all of UNC's <laughs> targets and doing a write-up for him so they can fill up the stat sheet the very next time out. All right, fellas, as always, I'm thankful that you're here, and I appreciate the perspectives and the insight that you bring to this show. Hey, everybody out there, please rate and review us. I think uh, Spotify has some new thing where you can review. Uh, make sure you do that. If you're checking us out on Spotify, it's, it definitely helps if you go out and, and rate us. So hook us up with some good ratings. Uh, that means the world for us and our advertisers. Only if you like the show, of course. If you don't like the show, first off, let us know. And then why are you listening if you don't like it? But I would assume that you like it because you're here and we like that you're here. So give us some good ratings, good reviews, all that good stuff. It really helps us out. Make sure that you are subscribing to all of our stuff, especially on YouTube. If you like looking at us every week, if you don't like looking at us every week, I'm sorry. This is what God gave me. It's just it's gorgeous the way I am. Um, so make sure you subscribe there and, and just we're thankful that you're here. We appreciate you being a part of the show every week. We look forward to putting these together for you. And we hope that you look forward to getting them, however it is that you consume Inside Carolina content. So thank you so much for being here. For Sean Moran, for Sherelle McMillan, and shout out to John Sigley for producing. I am just Joey Powell. We will catch you next time on the Coast to Coast podcast here on InsideCarolina.com. Late.